Uh, recently, Tess and I were uh, on a trip in, uh, in L.A., and um, as you can see, um, I bought this in L.A., and um, I thought it looked cool, so I bought it. And uh, then I realized, I was like, I live in New York. I can't just wear this. Like, it'd be kind of weird. And, uh, but we were recently in L.A., and if you know me, I'm a huge LeBron James fan, like diehard. And uh, so whatever team, there you go, beauty, thank you. So whatever team he's on, that's the team that I'm cheering for, aside from Brooklyn. And, um, and so I'm a Lakers fan this year, and I was a Lakers fan last year, and we're going to win the championship this year. It's going to be amazing. So we were in L.A., and we realized that there was a Lakers game that was happening while we were in L.A. And, uh, and in my head, I'm like, man, i got to figure out a way to get to this game. So I put a, a thing on social media, on my Instagram. I said, hey, anybody got any sort of connection to Staples Center or to the Lakers? And nobody responded, which is great. And, uh, and then one of our good friends uh, works for a company where she's, she's at a lot of different events, both in L.A. and New York. And, uh, and so I was like, last resort, let me just text her and see if she knows anybody, because I knew she was just there. We just missed each other, because um, she was there at the Grammy Awards. And so I said, let me just text her. So I texted her, and I said, hey, is there, do you have any sort of connection to Staples Center or the Lakers? We would really love to go to the game tonight. And we just don't need two tickets. We actually need four tickets because we want to take Mark and Trish with us. And, um, and I'm like, man, that's a big ask. And, um, and then she replies with, yes, I do, dot, dot, dot. And I'm like, what is the dot, dot, dot for? Are you trying to like, make me feel bad? And, uh, and so I'm like, I'm like, okay, well, can you get us tickets for tonight's game? And I'm thinking that we would have to pay something, but not like what it normally would cost. And, um, and so we don't hear anything for like 10 minutes. And then all of a sudden, she like sprints in the, like three messages in like three seconds. And, uh, and I'm getting in the car, like putting my seatbelt on. So I'm not able to read the message, but my wife starts reading these messages to me. And this is my reaction. Thank you so much. It's like a dream come true. Oh my gosh, I can't even believe it. I can't even believe it. And, uh, and so, in like, you know, three text messages she sends, all right, four tickets confirmed. Uh, you'll pick them up from Will Call. They're under my name. And, uh, and, and she said, we're going to put you in our company suite. And, uh, and in my, I'm, like, I'm like panicking right now. And, uh, and she says, hey, if anybody asks who you are, just let them know that you're a personal friend and we're working on some projects together. And I was like, Okay. Uh, and then I had to ask her, I was like, so what do you do? <laughs> and uh, then she explained it to me, just in case somebody asked. But I got this message, and, and honestly, like, I, I was like freaking out in the car, and, and Tess was like yelling at me to stop yelling. Um, but I, I was like freaking out. But when I was reading the messages, and even after the fact, it still didn't feel real. I was like, man, there's part of me that's not going to believe this until I have the tickets in my hand. And then once I had the tickets in my hand, I was like, I'm still not gonna believe this until I actually walk into the arena and get through security and make sure that the ticket scans. And, uh, cause I've had that happen before. I bought tickets to something and I tried to go in and the ticket didn't work. So, uh, and so I, it, it didn't hit me until I was actually in the arena and the game was happening. And, and I, I just was like speechless. I, I just like didn't, I couldn't talk and like, Trish and Mark and Tess are all talking. I'm just like. <laughs> and it was, it was an incredible experience. But 
I share that story because I think when it comes to faith, when it comes to church, when it comes to uh, the love of God, the love of Jesus, I think most people in our world, and maybe even ourselves at certain points in our life, I think that's our experience. We've heard about God. We, we've heard about his love for us. But there's a part of us that maybe finds ourselves in a place of, man, I still, I, I'm not going to believe it until it's, it's real. And, uh, and so what I want to do this morning is, is, is just encourage us with this idea that maybe the love that God calls us to share with people and even the love that he calls us not just to share with others but to experience with him is a love that goes beyond just words. It's something that is more than words. It's something that is more than words. And if you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 16. And if you don't have your Bible, we will pray for you. And, um, but no, we'll have it on the screen. Um, God still loves you. And, um, but I want to give us a little context before we jump into the text. John is writing to the local church because John knew at this point in time, the fellowship or the community of the church was vital for the perseverance of Christians living near the end of the first century. John knew that the love of Christians for one another doesn't merely serve a practical purpose or for accountability or support, but the love of the church models the love of God. And so the love that, that we're supposed to show one another and also show to uh, the world around us isn't just about accountability or supporting one another, but it should be an example of the way that Jesus loves humanity. And so John is, 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 is just encouraging them. And, and the thing that you have to realize during this time is, is people who are following Jesus are struggling because people are trying to deceive them. During this time, one of the biggest things was, was the people who were kind of like, would be considered false teachers, were teaching a form of early Gnosticism, which is basically saying that your spiritual life is separate from your physical existence. And they were even trying to teach Christians that Jesus was only a spiritual being, not a physical being. But we all know that Jesus was a human that he was a physical being and he was also a spiritual being. And the same thing is true of us. Our spirituality isn't disconnected from our physical existence. But I think our physical existence should be a, a representation of what's happening within us spiritually. And so these two things aren't disconnected. And so this is what John is trying to encourage the people with. And this is what he says, starting in verse 16. I'm reading from the NIV translation. This is what it says. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Here's what I want you to listen to. It says in verse 18, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. 
And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. And here's the thing we have to understand. Verse 18 is really what I want you guys to focus on this morning. But when John says, little children, let us not love with just words or speech, but with actions and in truth, he's not diminishing the reality or the frequency or the importance of loving people with our words. That's not what he's doing. And you can look at the original text, the the original translation, the Greek translation, and and it kind of communicates that, that he's not saying that loving people with your words is not what's important or it lacks significance. He's saying that it just can't be that. That you can't just say, oh man, like, hope you, hope you, hope you get better. I hope you, I hope that goes well. Hey man, I love you. Good seeing you today. Hey, I'm be praying for you. How many people, you ever been, I've been there. You say, hey, I'll be praying for you, then you just forget. <laughs> so I've actually had to take, start taking the middle note. When I say, hey, I'm gonna pray for you, I actually pull my phone out and I, I set a reminder for myself. Because yeah. I don't wanna just say it, I actually wanna do it. Yeah. And, and so this is what John is saying. It's not that we should just have one or the other. He's saying it's both and. With actions and in truth. And, and here's the thing, right after the word actions, verse 18, he finishes it with and in truth. And what in truth is speaking to is keeping with God's revelation through Jesus. So another way to think about what John is trying to communicate to us and call us to through verse 18 is saying, let us not love with just our words or our speech, but with actions deriving from truth. So in other words, actions and in truth is saying that our actions should be derived from the truth. Another way to think about it is what you believe is what you will do. So what you believe to be true will determine your actions. So if I believe that God loves me in spite of my sin, in spite of my failure, in spite of my my mistakes, this is the gospel, it's the good news of Jesus Christ that he loves me in spite of my sin and my past and my mistakes, then shouldn't I then, if I believe that to be true, if that's the reality I believe in, then shouldn't that be the same way that I love the people around me? If my actions are derived from whatever it is that I believe, then that should be true. And so what we believe as truth becomes the reality of what we do and how we live. Our reality of the love of Jesus in our lives should determine our actions. I love this quote from, from a, a message given by the late Martin Luther King Jr. and our outreach coordinator. She, we were at a meeting and, and she said this and it like, man, it like whew, punched me in the gut. This is what, what he said. He said, all you need is a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love to serve your neighbor in your backyard and beyond. I love that, a heart full of grace. You can't have a heart full of grace if you don't believe that God's grace is sufficient for you. A soul generated by love. When we experience the love of God, there's something that happens within our soul that should naturally compel us to love people that we encounter the same way. And and, and so our reality of the love of Jesus in our lives should determine our actions, not just on Sunday, not just at community group, but every single moment, every single day, every single place that God takes us. And so with the time that I have left this morning, and Don said I can go until 1.30, because um, <laughs> that's why we have two, sir, y'all, we, just, we just keep it going, right? That's what we do. And, uh, 
But with the time that I have left, I wanna just give us three things that happen. When we start to, uh, you could say it like this, when, when our doing is our saying. Three things that happen when our doing is our saying. In other words, when what we do lines up with what we say, I believe that there's three things that can happen. And the first thing, if you're taking notes this morning, is that the church becomes known more for what we are for rather than what we are against. The church becomes known more for what we are for rather than what we are against. And when I say church, I'm not just talking about the local church. I'm not just talking about Liberty Church. I'm not just talking about uh, other local churches that are in New York. I'm talking about you and me because we are the church. And so wherever we go, we are a representation of the church. I was listening to a conversation by a guy named Jeff Henderson who was for a long time the, the head of marketing for Chick-fil-A. And I had the opportunity to work with him while I was in Atlanta working at North Point Community Church. And uh, he, was, he was leading this conversation and he said this and it really caught me, it just kind of made me take a step back and think, but he said, if you ask the average person walking down the street, they could tell you what the church stands against before they could tell you what the church stands for. And so he challenged people who were in this conversation with two questions. He said, when you think about the church and when you think about your relationship with Jesus and, and who Jesus has called you to be and who he's equipped you to be, he's like, life comes down to two questions. What do you want to be known for? And what are you actually known for? And so I started to think about these questions, not just personally, but for our church and for our community that we get to lead. And, uh, and the, the tough part about these questions is the first question we can control that's up to us as far as what do we want to be known for. The second question, what are we actually known for, is out of our control. So that is uh, somebody else's reality of how we're living. So I could say, hey, man, I want to be known for just loving people the same way that, that Jesus has loved me. I want, to, I want to be known for being a generous person. I want to be known for being somebody who's just willing to serve um, because I realize that what I get to be a part of is so much bigger than the part that I play. And so I'm just going to do whatever it takes to move things forward. Um, and, 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 but when you ask somebody, hey, you know, like, what do you think about me as a person? And do you think that I'm generous? That's not up to us, but that's somebody else's experience. You know, I think about my wife and I. I, I say that, you know, I want to be uh, a husband that uh, shows her uh, a lot of service because that's her, one of her love languages. That's how she receives is acts of service. And so, you know, like sometimes I like, when she's gone, you know, I'm just going to clean the apartment. And then she comes home and she doesn't really notice anything. And uh, I'm like, cool, thank you. Uh, try to clean the apartment. And, uh, but I could say that, yeah, I wash the dishes all the time. I take out the trash all the time. I clean the bathroom all the time. And that's what I want to be known for in our marriage. But if somebody were to ask her, like, hey, Tess, does, is he doing those things? She'd probably say, well, he takes out the trash when it's, like, desperately overflowing um, and it smells bad. He cleans the bathroom, like, once a month, if that. And, uh, and so those things, as far as whether they line up or not, it's not the responsibility of the other person. It's my responsibility. If I say, hey, I want to be known for these things, then it's on me to figure out how do I bring those things to be in alignment. And, and so I think the, the reality of Jesus, when, when we uh, love the people in our lives with more than words, the way that Jesus has loved us, 
then our reality, it starts with us being able to experience the love of God and understanding that his love for us is more than words. And after we experience that, then we should be compelled to live our lives in that way as well. And so what happens is our reality of Jesus becomes their reality of Jesus. Our reality becomes their reality of Jesus. And through that, they start to realize, man, like, you know what? Jesus is for me and not against me. Jesus has a plan for my life and a purpose for my life that is bigger than anything I could dream of or imagine for myself. That Jesus can love me where I'm at today, but he loves me too much to leave me there. He wants to transform my life. That Jesus can take the broken places in my life, whatever it may be, whether it be in my family, whether it be in my marriage, whether it be in my career, whether it be me in raising kids, whatever it may be, he can take those broken places and make those things whole again. People start to, re- to realize that it becomes their reality, not just our reality. And, and so I, I think what happens when we start to say, hey, you know what? I want to make sure that the way that I love people, the way that I love Jesus, the way that I love the people at my job, at the people that live in my neighborhood, I want to love them with more than just words because that's how Jesus has loved me. We as the church become known for more for what we're for rather than what we're against. And I think the easy thing is it's easy to build a platform for what you stand against. It's easy to do that. It's hard in a lot of places, especially in a city like New York, to say, hey, you know what, I'm actually going to build my platform on what I stand for. And when you look at Jesus throughout the Bible, that's what he did. Jesus wouldn't approach somebody and be like, hey, you know what, I actually don't like that. But he always sat down and said, hey, I want to have a conversation. Tell me a little bit about your story. And Jesus got to understand who he was talking to. And then he would communicate, hey, this is what I'm standing for. And I'm not just going to say it, but I want you to experience it. It was always more than words. And that's the love that he's calling us to. I think about the story of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And and what I love about this story is that there's so many things that just don't make sense in the story. That Jesus is kind of challenging during that time. Jesus on his way back from Galilee to uh, Galilee from Judea, he took the most direct route possible. So in other words, during this time period, the Jews at that time uh, didn't like to associate with the Samaritans, the people who lived in Samaria. And so oftentimes, because they didn't want to associate with them, they would go double the time it would usually take. They would go all the way around so they wouldn't have to pass through Samaria to even associate with these people. But Jesus took the most direct route possible. And, And so... The Jews didn't associate with the Samaritans because of ethnic, racial, and religious differences. The Jews thought the Samaritans were ceremonially unclean, racially impure, and religiously heretical. And, you know, I I connected with so much of this because growing up, if you don't know who I am, um, some of y'all are like, man, is he Hawaiian? Is he Filipino? What is he? Um, I'm half black, half Korean. And uh, my mom is, is, is Korean, my dad's black. And growing up, uh, I was just trying to figure out where I fit in, to be honest. And uh, we would go to a Korean restaurant. And because uh, my sister and I, we weren't full Korean, we were treated differently. That was the nature of what we experienced in our life. And then I would go somewhere, uh, you know, been pulled over multiple times um, by police for no reason in my car. Um, and so I've experienced both sides of this, this, this coin, but 
I always felt like, man, like I'm, I'm, I'm racially impure to some people. And so Jesus, during this time period, sees this woman at the well, and he goes over and he starts a conversation with her. He's like, hey, can you get me a drink? Because I'm thirsty. And, uh, and, and she's like shocked that he's even talking to her because of all of these things. And she literally asks him, like, hey, why are you talking to me? Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus just starts the conversation, but you notice that he didn't say anything from afar. He wasn't like keeping his distance and saying, hey, can you bring me a drink? Because, you know, we got this thing that's happening where we don't really see eye to eye. But he goes and he draws near to the woman. And so it's not just with his words, it's with his physical action. His posture is what's really kind of getting her to think, man, what is going on right now? And so, so I think that through this interaction, Jesus revealed to this woman who's like, you should have nothing to do with me right now, but yet you're engaging with me. Jesus revealed to the woman more about what and who he is for, not what he's against. And when we allow the reality of the love of Jesus to help us love people around us and one another with more than words, we as the church become known more for what we are for rather than what we are against. The second thing that happens when our love becomes more than words is this, our faith becomes contagious. Our faith becomes contagious. When we love one another and the world around us with more than words, but also with actions that are derived from the truth of who Jesus is, his love for us, his grace for us, his plan for us, our faith becomes contagious because the message becomes contagious. Our faith becomes contagious because the message becomes contagious. I love this quote from St. Francis of Assisi. I had to practice that word, y'all. I'm just being honest. I was like, is that a shishi, a sissy? Uh, but this is what it says. This, this, this challenged me so much. He says, preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. He says, preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. Oh, man. St. Francis understood that. Look, it's one thing to say, I believe in God. It's one thing to say, hey, I'm following Jesus. It's one thing to say, hey, my life has been radically transformed by a good God, a loving Father, an amazing Savior that I need. It's another thing to live that out. It's a whole other thing to live that out. And I think the greatest example of us saying, hey, I'm following Jesus is not by the words that we sing here on Sunday, but simply by how we live most of the time Monday through Saturday. And so he says this challenge, and I was like, oh, my gosh. And we see this in the story of the woman at the well. We see this happen because Jesus has this interaction with her. And Jesus basically starts speaking into her life. He tells her, hey, go home to your husband. Go bring your husband. And I want to encourage you to jump into John chapter 4, read this story. But he says, hey, go bring your husband here. And the woman's like, hey, I ain't got no husband. And Jesus is like, why are you lying? He didn't say that. <laughs> but I imagine that Jesus probably in his head, like, why are you lying to me? Do you know who I am? I already know. And he says, yeah, you're right. You ain't got no husband. You got like five of them. And, and he, he but, but here's the thing that I, I, I love is, and not at one point does Jesus kind of acknowledge her failure, her mistake. It doesn't change his posture towards her. 
It doesn't change his, he's still engaged. He's still sitting, he hasn't left her. I think sometimes, it, and I'm guilty of this myself, the, as soon as I meet somebody, I start having a conversation, I, fig, I figure out where they're at in life. If I'm honest, there's sometimes where I'm like, oh Lord, okay, nope, uh-uh, ain't nobody got time for that. And we do that if we're honest, right? We do that if we're honest. But Jesus knew that if I want her to understand that my love is more than words, if I want her to understand that I am for her and not against her, the best thing that I can do for her right now is just lean in and get a little bit closer. He doesn't leave. And what happens is she has this interaction with Jesus, and the first thing that she does is she goes back to the town and she starts telling people about it. Her faith became contagious because she experienced something that was not just based on words, it became more than words. And Jesus said who he was gonna be and he stayed that way, he lived that way towards her. So she goes back to the town, she said, hey, y'all gotta come see this man. First of all, he's talking to me, I don't even know why he talked to me, he shouldn't be talking to me. But y'all need to come and see this guy. So she goes to the town and she gets all these people and the word tells us that they start to move toward Jesus. Her faith became contagious. A spirit of deep, deep belief in something is contagious. You know, you ever been at a, a sporting event and maybe your team's losing? If you go to a baseball game, they have this thing where if the team's losing, everybody flips, flips their hat like inside out. I don't know why you would do it. Personally, for me, it's like, man, it's going to mess up my hat. I'm not doing that. And, uh, and uh, they call it like the rally cap. And, and here's the thing. I think when you're in that environment of maybe 20,000, 30,000 people, and you see everybody doing it, even if you're like, man, this is going to mess my head up, it's contagious, right? Because everybody has this deep belief that this team can come back and win. And I think that's the way that Jesus saw me. When I didn't deserve it, when I was still living in my sin, in my mistakes, in my past, and in my failure, Jesus looked at me and he had this deep belief in that he could save me and that he had a plan for me, that he had a purpose for me. And he had this deep belief that pulled me into him and I experienced something that was beyond anything I could ever dream of or imagine. And, and so now my heart is saying, well, how do I get other people to have that same deep belief that I do about God and how he sees us and how he loves us. And I think it's by choosing to not just love with our words, but with more than words. It's how we live. And when we do that, our faith becomes contagious. The, the last thing, the third and last thing, when we allow the reality of the love of Jesus to help us love the people around us with more than words is that the world will know who Jesus is. They won't know who I am, but they'll know who Jesus is. You know, I, I, I love, I'm going back to this story of the woman at the well. The text tells us in John chapter 4 that she brings all of these people towards Jesus. And Jesus starts speaking. He starts interacting with the crowd. And, um, and the word tells us that uh, many of the people came to know who Jesus was through her testimony. Now, when I think about a testimony, anybody love like uh, watching like the, the real life crime things that are on TV now? You know, like they had the OJ thing, it was crazy. And oh, I love watching that stuff. I love First 48, that, I could watch that all day. Y'all know what that is, it's on A&E, okay? And uh, some of y'all are like, what? First 48, 
okay? And, um, but one of the things that when there's a good testimony, a good testimony isn't just based on somebody's words. There was an action that is associated with their testimony. They experienced something. Something wasn't just said to them, but they experienced something along with truth, something that was spoken, and now there's this amazing, incredible testimony that they have, and the word tells us that the woman at the well, she brings this crowd to Jesus, and they say, man, many came to know who Jesus was because of her testimony. But her testimony was powerful because not she, just, she didn't just hear Jesus say something. She experienced Jesus and who he was with more than words. And then the word tells us that uh, many became to have faith in Jesus because they got to experience him firsthand. And, and, and so the world will know who Jesus is. Here's the thing. Our reality of Jesus will be the reality of Jesus for the people around us. That, that's that's what, what will happen. And, um, and I just believe, you know, Paul has been encouraging our church globally that this is a year of harvest. And I don't believe that we can experience the harvest that God has for us if we're going to just choose to love people with our words. I think it's going to take us saying, hey, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to not just love with how I speak or what, what I say, but I'm going to choose to love with the way that I live. You know, I used to work with middle school and high school students um, who wanted to lead worship and serve in worship and that kind of thing. And I would always challenge them. I would say, hey, my prayer for you guys is that, that, that the life that you live would be louder than any song that you sing from a platform. That's my prayer for you because that's what's going to speak loud to somebody. And, um, and so I, I want to just take a moment and, uh, and pray for us. And, uh, and this, look, I, I'm speaking from a place of, of being challenged and convicted in this because there are so many friends in my life, they know what I do, but I'm not showing them any sort of action that is derived in the truth that I'm experiencing so that they can also be a part of what's happening. And, um, but I just want to take a moment to pray for us. And, um, you know, maybe you're here in the room this morning and, and you might be challenged in the same way that, man, I got so many people in my life. They know what I believe. They know that I go to church. They know that I'm following Jesus. And, um, but man, is my life around them speaking and revealing the truth that I found in Jesus? And I just want to take a moment to pray. Um, maybe you find yourself in the same spot that I'm in. And, um, and if that's you, I want to pray with you this morning. I want to pray for you this morning. And if that's you, um, would you just right now just lift your hand if that's you? And um, I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. And you can put it down. And... Um, Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've done. And God, I thank you that you've loved each of us with a love that goes beyond just words. It's more than words. But you showed your love for us through you giving your life away. And Father, I pray for those who raise their hand, who find themselves in the same place that I'm in right now where I've been so challenged by people that I know who are in my life for a reason that maybe I've loved them with, with words or how I talk to them has been a loving in a loving way 
because I understand how you love me, but God, I know that it has to go beyond that. And so, Father, I pray for those who said, hey, I'm in that spot. I pray that you would give them a spirit of boldness and of courage to know that you have called them to be who they are. And that maybe in moments where they don't have the words to say, the life that they choose to live can be something that points people towards you. And so, Father, I pray not just for boldness, but I pray for opportunity. I pray for opportunity for us to show how the truth that we have put our faith in and our belief in can determine how we live and how we serve and how we love the world around us. Would you help us to do that, whether it's at our workplace, whether it's in our family, whether it's in relationships that we have with our friends, wherever it may be, would you help us to love with the same love that you've extended to us? That would stir up a contagious faith. That we would start to be known more for what we stand for, not what we stand against. And ultimately so that the world would come to know who you are. Would you help us to do that?